Lord, we had a great healing school yesterday. The Lord had done some wonderful things. We had some wonderful testimonies, and wow, I got tickled at one of the testimonies yesterday. Of course, all of them are great, and people have been healed and set free, and their lives have been changed forever. And I'm grateful, but one of the men, I got tickled at him. He's an airline pilot, and I don't know what airline he flies for. But he came up to give his testimony, and he came to give, tell me the testimony before the service started. And he said, uh, I was scheduled for surgery on my back. He said, I went down and said, I've been in pain for a long, long time, and I finally had it. I can't stand it no longer. And so he goes to the doctor, and the doctors set him up an appointment, and they're going to do the surgery. And he goes in, and the anesthesiologist checks him, and he had some kind of a little something I don't remember what he called it, uh, said it didn't really hurt anything, but it was some kind of little flipping on his heart that the anesthesiologist said, well, with that, I will not put you out. And so I understand where they're coming from. Uh, so anyway, he wouldn't do that, so he canceled his, they, the doctor canceled his surgery. And here the guy's in pain, and he happened to think about the healing school he had heard about. So he told his wife, said, you know, let's go out to Justin, I guess they went to the website or wherever, and they saw that we were having the healing school at Justin two weeks ago. So he came out there and listened to the Word of God for four hours. And he said, by the time the four hours of teaching the Word of God was over, I was already 95% pain-free. Now, what did God, did God say He sent forth Thurman to heal them? What did the Lord say He sent forth? His Word. So if you teach people the Word, the Word works, and then I don't even get to pray for them. Isn't the Word awesome? I did get to pray for them for the last 5%. <laughs> but he said it's been wonderful the last two weeks. No pain. You know, Isn't that wonderful? Now, every once in a while, the enemy will come back when you get a healing from God. This is how so many people lose their healing. Well, the enemy comes back in a week or the next day. Or the next month, and he puts a symptom on you. And you know what the first words out of nearly every one of us as Christians' mouth are? I thought God healed me. I guess he didn't heal me after all. And you just lost it. You just lost it. In other words, let me share something with you that I think that we as Christians are going to become so cautious with. I've learned this lesson years ago, but many people still don't know it. The God we serve is a faith God. He is not a feeling God. We walk by faith and not by sight. Think about what that says. We walk by faith and not by sight. Now then, there's going to come a time in the very near future that we're going to find out who the real Christians are that walk by faith and those that don't. Because I'm telling you, after what Cheryl come upon yesterday morning, looking about our airline tickets, uh, go somewhere, she happened to go to the customs department, and then she went from there to a place that talked about this flu that's worldwide. And so after she looked at the avian flu and read a few things about that, this morning, I went over on the website and typed in bird flu. This must be serious. There was 62,600,000 places the bird flu was on the Internet. 
62 million 600,000. This thing is now in Iran. It's in Iraq. It's in Turkey. And it's coming right on across. And it started in Vietnam. And so far, it's not been very deadly. Only 50% of the people that get it die. Only half. Just think. That's coming to America. It was prophesied over a year ago by a prophet that never misses it. Has never been wrong in his predictions. And he said the bird flu is coming to America. And he says 70 million people will contact the bird flu. And he also says that every person that has AIDS will die with this flu. So it will wipe out the homosexual group. I remember, seemed like I read one place in the Bible where the homosexual perverts were so powerful that the stench of that went to heaven and God sent two angels to destroy that entire area. And the only righteous people in the city got out. But when they got out, God told them, he says, when you leave, Lot, you take your wife and your two daughters. Number one, I think about how far backwards Lot had gone. Here he is a holy man, supposedly. And when these two angels came into the city, men, it said the people of that city, the men of that city, tried to tear down the house to his door to get to these two men. They wanted to know these men sexually. That's how wicked this place was. And Lot, I can't even fathom this. Lot goes out and says, I tell you what I'll do. Don't hurt these two men. I'll give you my two daughters. I'm going to tell you, if I had two daughters, it would be over my dead body that anybody got them. Ain't nobody going to have my children except over my dead body. I ain't going to offer them to a bunch of perverts to have sex with. I'd stand there and with knowing the Word of God, I'd say, Lord, bring them angels and you guys will rain down fire from heaven and destroy that bunch of wicked guys or do something. But this is coming. This group of men that's got AIDS and women and everybody else that's got it, this prophecy said that every, every person that has AIDS will die. Not 50% of them. Every one of them. So I'm going to tell you what. This holiness gospel. If you got AIDS... And you've been a pervert. You better straighten your act up. And if you know anybody's got age, you better tell them it's time they straighten their act up and they better come back to the church and they better start walking with God and better become obedient to the Word of God. Because if they don't, the day's coming when they're going to die. And another prophecy that was there, it said men in the church had little children that they held in their arms and watched them die with the flu virus. Men in church something wrong when men in church his children die. And you know what he said? These are Sunday Christians only. Sunday Christians only. How many people do you know is not even a Sunday Christian? God said be in church, didn't he? He said be in church. Hebrews 10.25, the king says, forsake not. 
the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis, as the manner of some are, and even the more so as you see the day of the Lord approaching. And boy, if I ever saw a day approaching, it's approaching. You know, we're going to find out who the real church really is in the very near future. You better be one of them. It says that when you go to the government website, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to tell you what's even on the government website. This is not something a prophecy, a prophet said. Yes, I believe what that prophet said is true because now it's coming. We're seeing it. It's hitting all these other countries. And our government has, on their website, has said the avian flu is coming to America. We have people watching, monitoring all the birds and everything that are coming into this country to see. Because when this flu becomes airborne, I was talking to Ty, and he's a doctor. And I said, you know, Cheryl told me, he said, one gram of manure infected with the, that flu can infect a million birds. And Ty said, that's not true. He said, one gram of manure affected with that virus can infect millions of birds. Not a million, but millions. He said, that virus is so tiny, we cannot see it with a microscope. We have to have an electron microscope to see the virus. That's how tiny it is. And that's going to kill millions of people. Now, then you talk about another realm that we don't see. That's here. I think about this realm that we don't even believe in, most of the church. Here's this invisible world right here. And Thomas said, I don't believe. He walked with Jesus. He said, I don't believe. I don't believe he's alive. I won't believe unless I see the holes in his hands and his feet and the hole in his side. I ain't going to believe he's alive. He was right there listening to Thomas. And all of a sudden, he's in the room with them and nobody can see him. And all of a sudden, he steps through the veil and says, Thomas, here I am. Look at me. And then he stepped back through the veil, and nobody could see him. Let me tell you, that invisible world that you and I can't see is there. And it, Paul tells us that world is more secure and, inter- and eternal than this one we can see out here. Y'all don't have a problem believing that I'm standing up here today because you can see me. You can hear me. But when we walk by faith, our government says that if this flu or when this flu hits America, and it's going to. And also one of the things I noticed this prophet, he said, the flu will hit. And we have gone so far in our wickedness, we cannot stop it. Prayer will not stop it. It can change it in some people's lives, but you can't stop it in hitting America. It's coming. Now, you can change it in your life if you're walking holy before God. But the government says, be prepared. It says, store up canned food and meats and water. Check with your employer to see if it would be possible for you to work with home because at home or from home. Because if this flu hits... Areas that are hit may be quarantined where you can't get out of your house. What are you going to do? It says, if you can't get electricity because the people that are running the power plants have died with the avian flu. And there's nobody to keep the power plants running. So you have no electricity. What if you go to the power plant that's providing the water for your house and you turn it on and there's nothing runs? I'm telling you, this could be very serious. 
Our government is warning us about these things right now. This is not a prophecy. This is the government telling us on their website that we need to prepare for the avian flu. It said you might have no food. You might not be able to buy anything. If you do have gas to get down to the station, there may not be, to the store, there may not be no food on the shelf when you get there because there may not be no truck drivers to haul the food. Prepare, they're saying. Prepare. Hey, I believe this is real. I believe the church, I believe God is warning us, the church, that we need to walk by faith. I was telling my ministry team out there, I said, you know, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. I said, we've not understood the magnitude of the magnificence of those promises as obedient children. Now, if you're an obedient child of God, and this comes, did the Lord say he would set us at his table? And he will give us a feast? You shall feast at my table? As children of God, I told my ministry team, I said, I want you all to know the day may come when we sit down to a table. We have acted like we've prepared food. And we set it empty pots and empty plates on the table. And we gather around and we say, Lord, we want to thank you for this wonderful food that you prepared for us today, your obedient children. Now, Lord, we're going to eat. And we want to ask you to bless this food to the nourishment of our physical bodies. And the water we're going to drink, we're going to ask you to bless it to these physical bodies so these bodies will be strong and able to do everything you want us to do in the name of Jesus. Now, Lord, thank you for this glass of beautiful water. And it's empty. And you turn it up and you drink it. And you say, Lord, thank you for this beautiful water. And when you set the glass down, you feel that water running right down your throat, right into your insides. That's walking by faith. Or you reach over and say, okay, let me cut this roast. And let me stick my fork and let me give you a piece. Now you cut it and you put it in your mouth and you chew it up and you eat it and you swallow it and it nourishes your body. Somebody says, this is the most far out thing I ever heard in my life. Let me tell you. One day they came to Jesus and Jesus said, give them something to eat. There was only 5,000 men. And with their wives and children, they could have, they could have been twenty to 30,000 people there. Lord, we don't have nothing to feed them. Lord, there's a little boy over here got a couple little fish and a couple little loaves of bread. He said, let me have it. He brings it over here. He helps it and says, Father, bless this food to our bodies. And then he takes the fish and he says, Peter, bring me a basket. And he throws one fish in. Two fish in, three fish in, and they keep seeing him throw the fish in, but the one in his hands never goes away. Did he do that? How many did he feed that day? All of them. Until they were full. And then they had twelve basketfuls left over. Now then, think about that. Doesn't that sound, what do you think that done to those disciples? I got one little fish in my hand. Bring me a basket up here. Let me fill it up. Full. Now they bring me a bread basket up here. One little loaf. And keep throwing it. But the hand never gets empty. Did Jesus walk by faith? If Jesus did that. And he told us in John 14, 12, to anyone that believes in me. Are you a believer in Jesus? You really are? We're going to find out. Are you really a believer in Jesus? 
He says, not only can you do what I've done. Well, first of all, we've got to get to where we can do what he did. Well, that next line says we can do greater things that he, can, he did in his name. So see, when you really get a hold of what it is to walk by faith, then you don't never go by what you feel or see. You only go by what's written. So if the Word of God says that Jesus came to save you, that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe with your heart you're saved, when you do that by faith, you're saved. Now then, let me tell you, there may be some exceptions in here, but when I got saved, I didn't see no bells, no, hear no bells, I didn't see no whistles go off, I didn't see no angels, I didn't see anything, and I didn't feel a thing. How did I know I was saved? I mean, I just walked down there and told that little Baptist preacher, I want, I want to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And he laid his hand on me and prayed a simple little prayer of faith, and I went back to my seat. Am I really saved now? I did that by faith when I was 11 years. Am I really saved? Yeah. Why? Because it's written. Did I get knocked down on the ground and jump up and shake for a little while? I didn't. I didn't feel a thing. Not a thing. But was I really saved? Yeah. Why? Because it's written. Now, I had sickness and disease and all kinds of things for the next 25 years. I didn't know I was healed at the same time. But when I got a hold of the fact, it is written that I'm healed 2,000 years ago by faith. When I received Jesus as my healer by faith in His Word, praise God. No more sickness. No more disease. It's absolutely magnificently Awesome to think that yesterday, I went to bed at, I don't know, 2 or 3 o'clock yesterday morning. I was up again by 5.30 or whatever it was. I was busy about the Lord's work. I worked all day. I mean, didn't come to a healing school, taught a healing school, stood up here all day long, and then left here last night at 10.15, went and had something to eat, and got home and got in bed this morning at 1.30. And I was, Wendy, she said, i never seen nobody like you. She said, you're on fire. You're still like you had eight or ten hours sleep. I mean to tell you, I can understand what Jesus said. I have food that you know not of. I have strength that you know not of. You know, this is available to everybody that will make Him the Most High God your dwelling place. That's the secret. Make the King the Most High God your dwelling place. Now, one more time today, I'm going to go through those Scriptures fairly rapidly, and then I'm going to step over into something that happens to you if you don't do what God says. I want you to turn with me in the book of Psalms, and I know that some of you have memorized this, but some of you still don't believe it. You know, so I'm going to show you We're going to hit this one more time. Psalms 91. Because you are going to need this in the very near future, I guarantee. When the bird flu comes to America, you're going to have to know that Jesus has promised you these things. And if you will do these things, He will do what He said. But there's something we have so grossly missed as a church. 
The Lord says, if you... Now, of course, I've lived through all of this, and I've seen it and proved it in my own life, so I know what I'm talking about is true. This is not something I heard some doctor of theology teach. This is something I have lived. I have lived as a Christian since I was 11. I lived as a sick Christian until I was 45. And then I got a hold that Jesus was the healer. I firstly never saw an answer to prayer until I was 45 years old. And then I got a hold of faith. And then, since then, from 45 to today, I couldn't even begin to tell you the hundreds of miracles and the thousands of healings and the thousands of answers to prayer I have seen God do. I couldn't even begin to tell you how many there have been. But I stepped into a new realm that works. Nothing is impossible to them that believe. I have proved it in the physical world. I mean, you know, I can think about the times that I've asked God to do supernatural miracles to build buildings. And He's done it for me. I've always given Him the credit. I mean, I think about the, thing, the miracles in the workplace. I walked into a workplace years ago, 15 years ago, to a group of men, 35 men, and virtually none of them. Some of them professed to be Christians. None of them were walking with God. None of them had ever seen a miracle. None of them had ever seen a healing. And I walked in that place and took control in the name of Jesus. And I'm telling you, those men, when I'd bring them into my office to pray, before we started to work every day, the hair would stand up on the back of their neck. They had never heard anything like this. Your boss? You got a Bible-thumping boss? I need to find me another place to work. And these are Christian men. But when the miracle started happening, it changed every one of them. God did it so simply for me. It only took three months. I'm telling them Jesus is a miracle worker. He's a healer. He does all these wonderful things. And they don't understand me. Thurman, you, you, you believe that book to the letter? I said, absolutely. I said, God tells me what to do and I do exactly what he said in this book. And I said, he does exactly what he said he will do. I said, the Lord I serve does miracles. Now, wait a minute, Thurman. I have gone to church some, and I ain't never seen a miracle. I said, he's a healer. Oh, no, no, not Thurman. I've been in church all my life. I go every Sunday, and I ain't never seen a healing. I've never seen nobody pray for somebody and nobody get healed. I said, what a shame. None of you all believe the Word. So anyway, they thought I was far out. Just like some of you thought I was far out when I talked about eating a while ago. Well, let me tell you. Let me tell you, as soon as that third month come along and that little woman, Edith, come in that cafeteria that morning with her arms all wrapped up and she's standing over there at the door. Thirty, forty people in that cafeteria that morning. I looked over and I said, what's wrong with you? She said, well, my arms got to feeling real bad. Last week they sent me to the doctor and I got carpal tunnel in both arms. At that time, I didn't know what carpal tunnel was. Never heard of it. I said, so what can they do about it? She said, Thurman, I'm 60." Four years, I she said 64, and she said, nothing. I said, I'll just have to suffer with it, but said, i got to work one more year until I get to be 65. I can't retire until I can get a Social Security. I said, woman, how would you like for Jesus to heal you? It got really quiet in the cafeteria. She said, I would love it. I said, then come over here to my table. I mean, I'm sitting there that morning being real spiritual. I'm eating a bowl of cereal. Real spiritual. I hadn't prayed over it, though. So she comes over to my table, and I reach up and lay, my, I lay one hand on that arm, and I raise the other up, and I said, Father, in the name of Jesus. 
You said in Mark chapter 16, verse 17 and 18, I can cast out devils and heal the sick. So I command this sickness to go away and her to be healed. I said, Father, now in the name of Jesus, do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. And I want to thank you for healing her right now in Jesus' name. And bam, her carpal tunnel was instantly healed just like that. Right in front of everybody. The woman began to jump up and scream, my pain went away. I don't have no pain in my arms no more. I said, take them things off and throw them away. And she did. And it's still deathly quiet. And there ain't nobody eating in that cafeteria. Everybody's watching me and her and God. They can't see God. But guess who's there? The king is that invisible realm right there, standing there, touching that woman, healing her because I'm doing something in faith. I mean, that went through that place like a wildfire. Never had anybody in that place of a thousand people ever seen a miracle like that. About an hour later, one of those leads that his hair used to stand up on his neck when I prayed, he come running. My office stood at attention. I mean, he was shaking. He said, Mr. Scrivener, I know that woman. I've just got through talking to her and said, she really is healed. I said, yeah, Dan, isn't God wonderful? He said, sir. I mean, he's standing at attention. He said, sir, I have never seen anything like this in my life. I said, isn't it wonderful to know the King of Kings and see Him do these kind of wonderful things? He said, we've never seen nothing like this. Definitely not at work. He said, I ain't never seen nothing like this at church. I said, what a shame. What a shame. Anyway, three months later when that little lady walks in, I'd done that by faith. Three months later when that little woman walked in my office, she said, do you remember the prayer you prayed for me that morning? I said, no, ma'am. She said, this is what you said. You said, Father, in the name of Jesus, do a complete healing on this woman from the top of her head to the bottom of her feet. I said, so what difference does it make? He healed you. She said, what you don't know. I'd had a hernia, and I'd had many other things wrong with me. And said, I've noticed my hernia went away. So I went to the doctor this week for a physical. And she says, results came back this morning. Nothing wrong with me from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. I mean, do we serve an awesome God? Be specific what you ask for. Don't have sinuses and 15 other things like so many people do have and pray, Lord, please heal my sinus. That's all you're going to get if you ask by faith. Rebuke that devil. Walk holy before God and drive out every one of them demons and walk in divine health. God has built you and designed you and designed you to walk in divine health as his children. Now, let me show you what I'm going to talk about here, and then we're going to go do, go do some other things. But Psalm 91, I want you to look at this magnificent thing that God has done in Psalm 91. And people don't understand this. We're going to go over it over and over until you get it, because I'm telling you, the bird flu is coming to America. And when it is, you better be walking here. If you are, you have nothing to fear. Nothing. It cannot touch you if you believe God's Word. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. What does it mean to dwell in the secret place? It means to stay in the Word. It means to wake up with Him in the morning. It means to praise Him. It means to not be ashamed of Him. It means when you get up, you go to your breakfast table, you don't dare take nothing into your body, liquid or solid food, except you bless it and pray over it in the name of Jesus. 
I mean, nothing. Don't take nothing. Don't do nothing throughout the day without prayer and thanksgiving. Nothing. Dwell. Live in the secret place where God is. Wake up in the morning reading His Word. Studying, meditating on the Word. When you get in your car, make sure you got a CD or something in there about the Word. You know, get the Bible on tape or something. Or listen to our teaching or something. But be putting the Word in your heart. Don't listen to stupid old somebody done somebody wrong song as you go to work. Turn that country and western junk off. It won't help you at all the day you need to walk by faith. That's just like I used to love to watch Charlie Coyote on the run road, road runner. I mean, when my son was growing up, I thought that cartoon was awesome. You know, I used to be so tickled at that. You know, that coyote is always after that road runner. Some of y'all watched that too. And that poor coyote could never catch that road runner. That's the way it's going to be with us and the devil. But you know, one day I was watching that. I loved that. And one day I was watching that and the Lord said, when the trials and tests of life come, that's not going to help you. I thought, whoa. Whoa. Then what is going to help me? The Word. So I turned off the television. I turned off the country music. I used to know all them old songs. I mean, I could drive down the road and sing right with them. I mean, I was a young, when I was a young man, I knew every song Elvis Presley made. He was at my age about that. And I sing his songs. I thought they were absolutely awesome. But I'm still here and Elvis is no longer here. One of us done something right and the other one didn't. He didn't walk in the secret place of the Most High God. Now, he might have been a Christian, I don't know. But he sure did live in the world. Did he make any money while he was in the world? Oh, yeah, millions. Does he need any of it today? No. Not a bit of it. Not happening him a bit. He that dwells, not come to church on Sunday. He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High God. Now, coming to church is part of dwelling with God. He says to be in his house. But if you dwell in the secret place of the Most High God, under the shadow of the Almighty, and you will be willing to say of the Lord, He is my refuge, and He's my fortress. He is my God, my only God, and in Him will I trust. Somebody says, are you a Christian? Oh, give me a break. If you tell me, yeah, I'm going to say, well, then go to the Word and do something because you ain't doing nothing for Jesus. You walk into the place where people are, you ought to walk. I used to laugh. I thought, you know, I was so on fire for Jesus. I'd walk into SkyShift, LSG SkyShift. I was director of engineering out there for seven years. I walked in that place day one. When I walked in there, people everywhere. In that big giant building. Men and women using foul words of profanity. Saying things that I wouldn't dare repeat. Saying them out loud. Here I'm a manager. I walked through that place. I never said a thing to nobody. But the next morning on the way to work, I had something to say to the devil. I am a son of God. I am seated in the third heaven. I am a man that's anointed with the Holy Ghost and power. And the devil has to be subject to me.
That's what the Word says. I'm walking in obedience to the Word. So I called the devil in. I said, devil, i got a word for you this morning. And all them people out there at LSD Skyshift have used all them foul words. I'm taking authority and dominion over you. And I'm taking over Skyshift in the name of Jesus. I said, you're out and I'm in. I said, now God's going to do miracles for me. He's going to do healings all over that place. And I command every demon of hell to shut their mouth in that place. And I don't never want to hear another word of profanity spoken in my hearing. Never again. Do you hear me, devil? And guess what? I was out there seven years. And the profanity went away. It went away that day. Somebody says, I don't believe I have that kind of power. Then don't try it. It won't work for you. But if you believe you've got that kind of power, then you believe the word. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on the serpent and his scorpions. All power is given to you over them. They shall in no wise hurt you. Nevertheless, rejoice not in this, that those evil spirits have to be subject to you. But rather rejoice because your name's written in heaven. The day's coming when you better know and believe those scriptures. If, it, if you do not, I guarantee it's going to be just like the plague that hit North Africa when John Lake was down there. John Lake buried many of his church members with the plague. And he's telling them, you don't have to die. By faith you have power over this plague. And they wouldn't believe. And they died in his arms. And when the doctors from England got there, they said, How in the world have you buried all these people, touched all these bodies with all this plague? And how, with no protective, nothing? And how have you stayed in perfect health? He said, I'm telling you, there is no plague can touch this body. He said, it is written in the Word of God. And the Lord is my dwelling place. And he says, no plague shall come near my dwelling place. And he said, I'm going to guarantee you, you can take one of them people that just died. You can take some of their blood out. You draw a little of my blood out and you put it in the vial and you drop their blood in mine under a microscope. And you're going to see the minute that blood touches my blood, every virus in it is going to die instantly. And it did. They checked it. What can we do by faith? All things. The church... And the future is going to learn to walk by faith or we're going to be non-existent. This plague is coming to America. It's coming. What would you do if the... What if the proportions, the ratio of proportions stays the same as it's been? What if 70 million out of 300 million people do contact the bird virus? What if 35 million of them die? You realize what kind of problem if we had 50 to 70 million people sick with the flu and the hospitals are already right now? You know the hospitals are full. Almost every hospital is full in this area. That tells you something, doesn't it? For a God that promised to heal us under the law, and a lot of the people down in hospitals are church members. So they don't believe the word. What a shame. I know. I was one of them. I've been in a hospital. I didn't know what God's promises said. And so when you don't know it, He's a faith God. Yeah, He'll let you go down and He'll let you die. I think of what I have seen in those hospitals. But look what the Lord said. If you will say of the Lord, He's my refuge and my strength, surely He, God, shall deliver you from the snare of the devil. Is that an awesome statement? Who's going to deliver you and me from the snare of the devil? God! How many of you in here today believe God's big enough to deliver you from the devil? 
Do you really believe that? Well, then you better vote yes today. You know, because God was watching. He's keeping record. And he says, and I will not only deliver you from the snare of the devil, and also from the, my Bible there says, nauseam pestilence, but right off to the side, it says that means raging epidemic. What's he going to deliver me from, David? Whatever comes. comes. That's a bird flu or whatever, right? Amen. So if I'm walking in faith, I can walk right through the middle of that stuff. They're telling us, according to the information we're reading, that this flu, when it comes, and it's microscopic flu, if you've got it and you open a door, you'll leave that virus on that door. And that virus is going to stay alive for six days. Can you imagine how many people go through that door in six days? And he said, everybody touches that doorknob will get it. Everybody will get it, unless you're walking by faith. Which the world don't understand that. So they say everybody will get it. And it said the thing about it is you touch that doorknob and you don't know you got it for 48 hours. And then it comes upon you. And then 48 hours you know you're infected. But how many, reckon how many places you've gone and how many doorknobs you've touched since you've been infected. And then you see how this thing could snowball? You see why they say since this thing's going to live for six days wherever it's at. That's why they say that they could quarantine entire cities. So you can't get out of your house. They're not going to allow you to go to work. What if that thing came to Dallas and they quarantined the entire city of Dallas for one month? Instead of being six to eight weeks waves. What, honey? It said, in that, it said six to eight week waves. Oh, okay. Six to eight week waves of quarantine. I didn't say that. No, it's the government said that, yeah. Yeah. The, go- the government said that they will have to quarantine areas for six to eight weeks. So let's just take it to the maximum eight weeks. I mean, if you can't get out of your house and they tell you for eight weeks you are sealed in your house, you cannot leave your premise for eight weeks, are you going to be in trouble? Are you going to be in financial trouble? Okay, well, if you ain't, you're in good shape. But if you've got car payments to make and house payments to make and rent payments to make and everything else, guess what? And you can't work for eight weeks? You know, you know the average American lives from week to week? I learned my lesson years ago. I mean years ago. I was an airline pilot. I was flying for an airline. And I was making good money. You know, good money. Back in those days, that was a long time ago. Man, I could just do, buy anything I wanted. You know, I, I had a good job. And I came in one time on a trip back from Vietnam. I got back to California. When I went to my mailbox and checked it, I was already 15 days into a 30-day notice for a layoff. And I had the next 15 days off. So I was off. I was laid off, period. Bam. It's over. My last paycheck. Nothing to do. No work. No, no flying jobs. I come home. My wife was in tears when I told her. We got just enough money to bank to pay this month's house payment and the car payment. And we out of money. That's where I used to live. And I told her, I said, you know, this is going to teach me a lesson. I said, from this day forth, I ain't never going to live from payday to payday. Never. I said, I'm going to do my best to pay this house off as quick as I can. 
And I nearly got that little car paid off we had on. I said, and from this day forth, I ain't never going to buy another car on payment. I ain't never going to buy another house on payments. I'm going to save and invest the money. And when the money comes in, I will buy a good used car. But when I buy that sucker, I'll pay cash for it. And I won't have to pay insurance on it or nothing. I won't have to have all that high dollar insurance. And the rest of my life, from that day to this day, I never went out and bought nothing that I couldn't pay for. Nothing. I saved the money and invested it. You know, that's just like that little, the last vehicle I bought was that little 2002 Ranger truck. I went to the Lord. I said, Lord, I need a little pickup that gets extremely good gas mileage. I think I would like to have a little Ranger. But I said, I only got $6,000 to pay cash for it. So I said, I need something under 6000 and I wanted to have low miles. So I went into the Internet, done a search on $6,000 under, uh, well, 1999 and down, because I didn't figure I could get anything newer than that. But I did that search, then I went in and done a lookup on one for under, well, uh, yeah, under 6000 and 1999 or older. Well, there was one 2002 in there. Well, the search was... Under 99, but under 6,000. And I thought, what is that 2002 doing in there? This computer messed up. No, they don't mess up. So when I go in there and look, it said the 2002 had 13,000, 15,000 miles on it, and it was $5,850. I said, no, 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 that's got to be a mistake. Instead of 15,000 miles, that must be 150,000 miles. No 2002 with 15,000 miles on it. I mean, a 99 with 70,000 miles on it was selling for $10,000. So I thought, this is a mistake. See, I don't even have enough faith. So the next day I did that look up again, and that same truck came back up. And I called him. I said, did you really have a 2002 with 15,000 miles on it for $1,550? She said, yeah. I said, what's wrong with it? She said, nothing now. She said, it was wrecked in the front end. I said, we fixed it and said, there's not a thing wrong with it. So we go over and look at it. looks like a brand new one. We give him a check for $1,550. Bring it home. I got 19,000 miles on it now. It's perfect. Isn't that awesome? See, you got to have faith to believe God will do something wonderful for you. So, I didn't even have enough faith. But I don't never go out and buy a car and sign a note for twenty or $30,000. Not me. I ain't going to do that. I've never done that, and I won't never do that. If I ever buy a new car, I'll have the cash in my hand to pay for it, or I ain't buying that thing. I am not going to pay somebody interest. I did buy my son a 2002 Grand Cherokee Jeep, brand new, for $25,000. And when I went down there, they said, with they checked my credit, and they said, with your credit, we'll sell you that car up to three years, no money down, no money down, and zero interest for three years. So I bought that on, on credit. Why shouldn't I use their money? Zero credit? Nothing down. I told them, I said, I can't buy that thing. At least not pay $5,000 down on it. So I paid them 5000 down. When I walked out, I thought, you know, what a dummy. I could have used their money all the way through. You know, but I just felt like I had to put something down on this thing. You know? So in three years, I had it paid off. It didn't cost me a penny interest. Not a penny. So I, did, I, I made out. But that's the only way I would do that. I'm not going to pay somebody else a lot of interest for me to have money. Too many people, and many of you in this room probably, have your credit cards up to the limit. And many of those are 
16, 20, 25, 30% interest. Let me tell you, you need to get out of debt. You need to get out of debt as quick as you can get out of debt. And then you need to stop spending the money you have. You need to start saving it and buying and preparing for this thing. Because if it comes, and it's going to come, there's no telling what you may need. But this is going to teach us what we need to do to walk by faith. The Lord made us a promise. If we will put Him first in our life and dwell in His secret place, He says, right here in the Word of God, it's written in this Word. And you can take this to the bank. This book means what it says. He says, Surely God shall deliver you from the snare of the devil and from the raging epidemic. That means it can't touch me. If I'm walking in obedience to the Word, it cannot touch me. Then he goes on to say, He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings shall you thou trust. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid for the terror by night. Let me tell you, when that flu comes, there's going to be a terror by night. You're going to hear people dying. It's going to kill multitudes of people. Your neighbors will be screaming when they've lost their babies. When the church members, it said, that man said that those church members were carrying their own babies dead in their arms. And he asked, Lord, why these men that are church members, why did their babies die? He said, they're not dwelling in me. They're not dwelling in me. They just go to church. That's scary, isn't it? Nor for the error that flies by day. These are these viruses that are going to fall out of the sky. That's the devil's errors. Nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. None of this can touch you if you're dwelling in God. I'm telling you, you don't realize the importance when this word says we are to dwell in Him. The church in the future must do what the King says. We must do what He says. A thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. But it shall not come near you. Is that protection? That's protection. Just think, a thousand shall fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand. But yet this plague shall not harm you. It shall not come to you. Only with your eyes shall you behold and see the reward of the wicked. This is the reward of the wicked. We don't want to be wicked. Just because you've made Jesus the Savior of your life doesn't mean you fit this criteria. You can still be wicked and be a child of God. And there's a lot of them out there that think they're okay. Just because they walked down an aisle a few years ago. So many men that I know walked down an aisle. When I was 12, 15, 18 years old, served God a little bit, and then got off into the world, went to college, fell completely away, run around, had sex with all kinds of girls, lied to people, cheated here, did this, did that, and yet go to church on Sunday every once in a while when they feel like it. Those men are going to die in this plague. They're going to die in this plague. They have not made God the most high God their dwelling place. It's only something in word. They've not been a spiritual leader of their homes. They've not what God says, love your wives, love your children. 
Love your wives like I love the church. Work. Be the spiritual leader in your home. Teach your wife and your children about me. Tell them about me. Walk holy before me. We didn't do those things. And so we're going to pay the consequences. Those are classified as wicked in the sight of God. And those men are going to die during this plague. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the Most High, your habitation or your dwelling place, there shall no evil befall you. Neither shall any plague come near unto your dwelling place. Are these awesome promises? But you notice there's a requirement. You've got to walk holy before God. He shall give His angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. You shall bear, they shall bear you up in their hands so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Are these guys going to protect you? Yes, they will. God will send them, and you need to thank them every once in a while, along with the Father. When you're walking on, you need to get up more and say, Lord, I want to thank you for my angels. I want to thank you for these magnificent beings of grandeur that you sent to pick me up. So if I fall, I, they will pick me up and I will not dash my foot against the stone. Lord, I want to thank you for these guys. And they say, angels, I want to thank you guys. And I, I want you guys to know the Father sent you to take care of me. So you boys do a good job. Because I read in the Word, do you not know that I'll judge angels one day? So you boys better do a good job on me. You know that's written in the Word? Do you not know we'll judge angels? Paul told us that over in 1 Corinthians. Some people say, what does that mean? It means exactly what it says. You will judge your angels. Did they do a good job for you? If you walked holy, those guys will be right there to protect you. Just like the Lord says, nothing can harm you. Just like the other day, I told some of you all heard me tell a story. The other day when I walked out of that back door... And I stepped off of that 8-inch deal, about like this is right here, and stepped in that slick mud, and I, fell, I went, just my legs went straight out just like that, and I fell right over a threshold of a door, and I, I mean, I didn't even have time to cry out, really. I mean, it, it happened just like that, in a heartbeat. I just throw, had time to throw my arm back, and I fell right on that threshold with that arm, and immediately, when I hit the ground, I really jerked one leg back up under me, put the other hand down, and I was standing right back up, and I didn't have a bruise or a pain or nothing. Who, could have, who alone could have done that for me? An angel. You know, the average man my age fall across something like that, they call 911 to take him to the hospital with a broken back or broken arm. I didn't have a bruise. The king made me a promise. If you will make me the most high God your dwelling place, I will protect you and keep you. And then he goes on to say, Because, you have set, because he has set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. And I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. Hey, isn't that wonderful? You call upon the king and he will answer you. And I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Isn't that awesome? That is awesome what God's going to do. But I'm telling you, the time for playing church... Is rapidly coming to a close. I hate to say it, but the pastors that are standing in pulpits today that are not warning their people, that are not preaching holiness, that are talking evil about other pastors that are, those men are going to die in this plague. 
This is not a game we're playing. It's like the story that this lady, I don't know if this is real. I read it in her book. I've seen her, you know, on television. She says God took her to hell. And she got to go, and the one story she told really got my attention. She said, I walked with Jesus, and there is a casket laying there with a man in it, and demons are running in and out of running their spears through the side of this casket, and this guy's screaming. She said, Lord, what did that man do? Who was he? He said, he was one of my preachers. He said, many people come to know me because of his preaching. But said he refused. Even as I prompted him, he refused to teach all of my word. And because he refused to teach my word, he will be tormented forever. That's kind of scary, isn't it? I don't know if that story is real or not. That's just a woman that told us on television and everything that she had been to hell, that Jesus had took her down there. If that's true, that ought to straighten up some preachers. Hey, I'm going to tell you, I ain't taking no chances. If he said it in this book, I'm going to teach it. If you like it, that's good. If you don't like it, that's still okay. If Jesus said it, I don't want your blood on my hands. I would love to have taught a group of people that when this plague comes, that not one single one of them contacts this flu. That every one of us here, every Sunday, regardless, and we're able to go and do things. And not only are we here, but we're able to go out and tell other people about this and people that are dying with this flu. And we go in and tell them, repent of your wicked sins and I will pray for you and the King I serve will heal you. And they repent of their sins and you pray for them and they get miraculously healed right there. That way they will know that the King of the universe lives in you. There won't be no questions asked. How can you walk through this and not get it? Wow. Now then, I was going to take a couple of testimonies today, but I don't have time. Let's go to Second Peter. i got something to show you that happens to people when they don't do what God says. Now I've showed you what He will do when you do what He says. And I don't know about you, but I like Psalms 91. But it has a requirement, doesn't it? I'm willing to pay that price. Now then, let's go over here to Second Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Right past the book of Hebrews and James. Second Peter 2. I'm going to read something to you. That the Lord, this is in His Word. I didn't make this up. Second Peter chapter 2. Verse 1. Now chapter 1 is an awesome chapter. It tells you what you can do if you'll walk holy in obedience to God's Word. How you can be a partaker of His divine nature. So He's given us all the spiritual blessings, everything we need to walk in life and health. It's all in chapter 1. But chapter 2, He says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now, if anybody teaches you anything, when a preacher stands up here, or whoever you want to call him, a preacher or teacher or anything, if he stands up here and preaches them, you better be following along with him in your word to make sure he's telling you the truth. If, if somebody up here says, you know, Jesus don't heal anymore. You need to jump up and say, can you show me that in the word? And you jump right out in the middle and say, hey preacher, can you show me that in the word? 
It's just like one day my son came home and I said, where you been, son? He said, I've been up to uh, one of the churches up Denton uh, and Bible church up there. He said, uh, we have been to Bible study tonight, Dad. I said, great. I said, that's wonderful. I said, what, did he teach anything jumped off the page at you? No, not really. I said, well, what did he teach on? He said, prayer. I said, that's a good subject. Nothing? You know, you didn't get nothing out of that? Well, yeah. He said, God answers prayer sometimes. Yes. Sometimes no. And sometimes maybe. I said, did he give you a scripture to confirm that? Well, no. He just said, sometimes God says yes, sometimes he says no to his promises. Whoa. I said, son, I want you to go upstairs and I want you to open your Bible and I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and I want you to read verse 18, 19, and 20. And when you get to reading those scriptures, I want you to come down here and I want you to tell me how many times God answers your prayer yes and how many times he answers his promises no. So he come back down in just a few minutes. He said, Dad, all the promises of God are yes every time. I said, oh, isn't that wonderful? All the promises of God to his obedient children are yes every time. So wait a minute. When you get a hold of that, then you can stand your ground. God can never say no to you. Think about this. What if God could say yes and no to his promises? What if he could? Then how, since he's a faith God, if, he could, if you're obedient, now this is all based on your obedience. Now see, something you need to learn real good that we know in John, clearly says in John 9, that we know the Lord does not hear the prayer of a sinner. You must obey him. The word's clear. So what if you're one of his children and you sinned this morning? You told a little lie. You sinned. You hadn't repented of that sin. You are a sinner. Now you pray and pray and pray. He don't hear your prayer. He will not hear your prayer until you repent of that lie. When you repent of that lie and get right, then you're restored to fellowship. Now you can come back and ask him and now he'll hear and answer. But that's why so few people get their prayers answered because they do not walk in obedience to God's Word. And never realize that God doesn't hear the prayer of a sinner. Well, I'm not a sinner. I'm a child of God. You can be a child of God and be a sinner. You can be a child of God and be a sinner. Now then, let me ask you this question. How many of you believe that when God says, I hate lying, He means that? Do you really believe that? I hate liars. Okay. If... Thou shalt not lie. And he hates liars. And you're a child of God. Let me ask you this question. How many of you besides me, since you've become a Christian, have lied several times in your life? Any, any, anybody in here willing to make, say, tell the truth? <laughs> the rest of you are lying. The ones that will not hold up your hand, guarantee. That <laughs> we need to pray for you. Because I guarantee, I know, it's, it's, you can't go through life and not do something, you know, like this. So we're, we're all, we all make mistakes. But when we make those mistakes, what should be the first thing we do when we realize we've made a mistake? Repent. Of course, you repent. And now then God says, oh, okay, now then I'll wash that with my blood and I'll come back. Now stop sinning. He says, stop telling lies. Now he says, come and ask me for anything and I'll do it. 
And so that's the, that's the secret. So he, if God could say no to his promises, to an obedient child of God, then he couldn't be a faith God. Because you cannot ask for something by faith unless you know your answer is going to be yes. You ever stop and think about that? You cannot ask for something by faith if the possibility is the answer would be no. Let's take it back to salvation. Let's say that God, did God say in His Word, I come to save the whole world? Did He exclude anybody? Nope. What if He had said, I'm going to save the whole world, but there's one lousy, stinking sinner. Out of all the billions that's going to be raised, there's going to be one lousy, stinking sinner that I am not going to save. Only one. But it wrote in his word, there's going to be one I'm not going to save. How many of you could have faith to be saved? None of you. If you read that verse, and you say, oh Lord, I accept you as my Lord and Savior, and thank you for saving me. And then the devil takes you right, but he says, but there's going to be one lousy, stinking sinner that he's not going to save. And that's you. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> He changed a bit. He's just like that guy in the garden. God, what was that woman you gave me? <laughs> but see, that's the way we are. If God had made that statement, I'm going to save everybody but one. Rico, you couldn't have had faith to have been saved. There's no way. Nobody could. But he said, I come to save the whole world. Anybody comes to me, I'll forgive you. I don't make it what you've done. I can, I'll save you. And my answer is yes every time. Then we can have faith to be saved. And that's the way it is with healing. We have to know it's God's will to heal us every time. And if it is, we get it. Now then, let's go over here to Second Peter. Let's keep going about these false teachers who will privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. You want to know why lots of preachers die young? Do you know there is pastors... And in seminaries today that do not believe Jesus was virgin born. They teach that. Yep. But there's a lot of people, a lot of pastors standing in a lot of churches that do not believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. It makes no difference, they say. It makes all the difference in the world. Because it's written in the Word. And look what happens to those men. They deny even the Lord that bought them. Were they saved? If you bought them, he was saved. But he says, and they will bring upon themselves swift destruction. I mean, you're treading on thin. I said when you start teaching something that's contrary to the Word of God. I mean, you are treading on thin ice. And many shall follow their evil ways. By reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. That's scary, isn't it? This is happening in church. And through covetousness shall they with framed words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. They'll make merchandise of you. Oh, they will tell you, we need lots of money and you need to help us out. 
Everybody that will give a thousand dollars a day, God will do something wonderful for you. I have been to those kind of meetings where men have made that statement because I give a thousand dollars to God. He's going to do something wonderful for me. God don't need my money. If I give that money out of a good heart and give it to God, yes, He's going to bless me. But if I go up there because that preacher said to all of you that will come in here today and give us a thousand dollars, God will bless you and do great things for you. If a man makes a statement like that, you can be assured I am not going to give him a thousand dollars. That does not line up with the word. But that's many of them are merchandising you for money. God's not intimidated with your threats. I think about one time when David Reavers, you know, after he got shot with that bomb, that phosphorus grenade, and it was all burned so bad and everything. And he told this on national television. That's where I learned it. He said, I came back to the States, and after they'd done all those surgeries, many of the surgeries, and I'm all burned, I look awful and everything. He said, I walk into church, and I command God to heal me, or I'm going to get even with him. And he said, I heard God laugh through the timbers of that church. Ha, 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 God wasn't intimidated with David Reavers. He ain't intimidated with you. There ain't nothing you can do that intimidates God. He loves you. If he didn't, he'd have swatted every one of us with a fly swatter and already wiped us out. <laughs> you don't have a clue, just like me. We don't have a clue who God is. When you get the picture of who the king is, you will never want to sin again in your life. You'll want to walk so holy, you want to be just exactly like the king. Amen. He is a mighty, awesome God. I'll tell you, one day when we, when we stand in His presence, we won't be on our feet long. You'll be on your face. You can't stand in the presence of the King. We may think we can, but we can't. He is so awesome and so holy and so clean and so pure and so powerful. And He loves us so much. When we fall on our face in, our, in His presence, I can only see this awesome, loving God that will come over and reach down under your shoulders and pick you up and hold you in His arms and says, I love you. That's beyond our wildest dreams. He could love us that much. But He does. Verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, And delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment. When the angels sinned, he didn't forgive them. He only gave them one chance. No redemption. And he spared not the old world. But save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Oh, you see something? He done right, didn't you? There wasn't nobody else preaching righteousness, but Noah was. How many people do you think might have been on the earth back in this time? Maybe a few million, right? Bound to have been a few million. Had a thousand years of people bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. 
The flood came to the ungodly. And he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. Condemned them with the overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly. I mean, the church don't believe these scriptures. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe they don't read them. But it's in my Bible. Then he says in verse 7, And delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. Can you imagine living in the filth of the world? That's why I don't live in the world. I don't want to be around the world except to go witness to them and talk to them about Jesus. I don't want to go to movies where they're taking my Lord's name in vain. I don't want to sit amongst that bunch of people. I don't want to go to uh, any place where the world is smoking and drinking and raising hell unless I go there to talk to somebody specifically about Jesus. But to go there and take part in what they're doing, I don't want nothing to do with it. I don't want to be there. Now, I don't mind going there and talking to somebody about Jesus. But to just go there and be there? No, I ain't going. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Can you imagine walking through the streets of Sodom and Gomorrah as a righteous man and seeing the perverseness that's going on? It'd be just like going to New Orleans on Decadence Day. Can you imagine walking down the street of New Orleans with your wife and your children as a Christian, and here's two homosexual or 50 homosexual perverts over there with all their clothes off doing all kinds of nasty, grotesque things. I won't even say what they do. I'll leave that to your own imagination. And you want to know why judgment's coming upon this nation? When the city of New Orleans would not let them build a church, but they'd already signed the rights for decadence day to be there. When it was going to be tens of thousands of perverts down there. Does God love them guys? Yeah, he loves them. Does he hate what they do? Yes. And these guys are going to walk through the streets of New Orleans and they're going to have their clothes ripped off. And they're going to be handling each other and doing things that's beyond the average person's wildest imaginations. Wicked sin. And they're going to be doing it openly so everybody can see it. And you want to know why New Orleans was destroyed just a few days before that day happened? New Orleans is no more. New Orleans is still wiped out. It still hadn't opened. There's still blocks and blocks of nothing but devastation. When God does it, He does it good. He says He's going to do it. He did it before. We're reading about it right here. And we don't have to go very far back to see when He just has done it here. And it's keeping, it's going to keep on coming. We're not through yet. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. Hey, I'm one of those. Are you one of those? If you're not, you better be. The Lord knows how to deliver you as a godly person, but you better be walking godly, holy before Him. 
You better not be living with somebody out of wedlock when he comes. Because if you are, I guarantee the bird flu is going to get you. You better be serving him in a church. You may not be living out of wedlock with somebody, but you better be holy and in God's word. Because if you're not that devout man of God or woman of God, that devastation is going to come to your house. You may say, but I'm a Christian. How many Christian people do you know right now that has died with some kind of terrible disease? I've known a lot of them. If God bore our sickness, removed our disease, then what's the problem? We don't know the truth. We don't spend enough time with God to know what the truth is. So the devil gets us. We'll come to church on Sunday. Maybe be a real good guy on Sunday. But we walk out that door and can't wait till we get outside to smoke a cigarette. And then we smoke two packs a day all the time. And then we have a man come over here in a wheelchair to a healing school, 60 years old, can't get out of a wheelchair, had lung cancer, and came here from Amarillo to want me to pray for him. And I said, sir, how did you abuse your body so that you're in this kind of shape at 60? He said, I smoked three packs of cigarettes a day for 40 years. You want to know why? He said, like, he abused his temple. Now he knows it's too late. God's merciful. He could heal him, but he may not. You know how many times God probably warned that man in those 40 years? There ain't no telling. Every time he takes one out, it says, these things cause cancer. That's just like one time I read about years ago, whenever marijuana first became uh, one of the drugs people were smoking. I went to a seminar one night. This doctor, he said, a lot of people want to make marijuana legal. But he said, I'm going to tell you that every time you smoke a marijuana cigarette, you destroy brain cells. And he said, they're not retrievable. He said, this stuff is not just something lightly. He said, it destroys you cell by cell by cell. People said, well, it didn't bother me. Oh, yeah, it did. Guarantee you. Yeah, I could still do a lot of things, but you can't do nothing close to what you could do if you hadn't smoked that stuff. Every time you smoked them, God's no respecter of persons. Every time you smoked one, brain cells were destroyed. I don't care who you are. It happened. You want to walk in divine health? You want to be sharp as a tack? You want to be able to do things great for God? Keep this temple clean and pure. Don't put no nicotine in it. Don't put no drugs in it. I mean, keep it clean and walk holy before God. And then you can grow up to be a healthy, older boy. I love it. I am so grateful that I never went there with none of that trash of the world. None of it. It has paid great dividends. Great dividends. I love being where I am and being healthy like I am. But I didn't abuse my temple with the trash of the world. None of it. Then the Lord says, After the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve and to reserve the unjust under the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanliness and despise government, presumptuous are they, self-willed, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. 
That stupid president we got, he ain't worth a flip, is he? Hey, you better be careful. Better be careful. Speaking evil of our dignitaries. Don't speak evil about nobody. Whereas angels, which are greater in power and might, bring not a railing accusation against them before the Lord. But these as natural brute beasts, made to be taken and destroyed, speak evil of the things that they understand not. Many people speak evil of the invisible world, and they have no clue what they're talking about. And shall utterly perish in their own corruption. And shall receive the reward of unrighteousness. How would you like to have a reward of unrighteousness? I don't want that reward. It's going to be bad. As they that count it pleasure to riot in the daytime. Spots they are and blemishes, sporting themselves with their own deceiving while they feast with you. Having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin. In other words, what they're trying to tell you, it's okay to have sex sin. God don't mind. Anybody ever read the word where it says, Thou shalt not commit adultery? Seemed like I read that in the Ten Commandments somewhere. But these guys are going to say, these guys have eyes full of adultery. And that cannot cease from sin. Just got to have one more. One more prostitute. One more today. One more man. Got to have another one. Can't make it. Got to have one more. Beguiling, unstable souls. A heart they have exercised with covetous practices and cursed children. In other words, what he's trying to say there, weak-willed women are drawn astray by these demons of hell in men. Don't be a weak-willed woman. Don't yield to nothing sexually. If you're not a married woman, forget sex. Get it off your mind. You don't need it. You can live without it. If you can't control your vessel, then get married. But don't run around with somebody and have sex with somebody you're not married to. Because if you do, it's going to bring death and destruction to your flesh. And it might take you to hell. Fifteen says, which have forsaken the right way and they've gone astray following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. It seems like there's a lot of people love the wages of unrighteousness. But let's see what happened to Balaam. But was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbade the madness of the prophet. How would you like to be riding down the road on a donkey? And you're going to curse God's people. And all of a sudden, an angel, which you can't see, says, I'm going to, here he comes. He's going to do something against God's word. I'm going to kill him. And the donkey sees him. The donkey goes off to the side. The guy beats a donkey. He says, get back on the path. Goes down a little further, and there's another angel standing there. A donkey sees that angel with that sword. He's fitting to kill Balaam. 
And the angel, the donkey gets over to the wall and scrapes his leg and cuts all the flesh. And he said, you stupid donkey, get back on this big beating this poor little guy. And all of a sudden the little donkey says, I'm trying to save your life. It's a, there's a new few more stupid donkeys need to talk to some of us Christians. You know it? Amen. You know, our problem is we're not riding a donkey today. When you're riding in that car, you can't see that angel that's out there to cut your head off. And that car don't see it. And so when you're living in sin, when that angel's been sent to take you out because of your sin. People say, I don't believe this stuff. Well, you don't know very much about the invisible world. You go back and read the Word of God and read the story I just told you about. Anybody ever read this story I just quoted to you? It happened about Balaam. Some of you have read that, haven't you? I mean, Balaam didn't understand. Here this donkey's trying to go aside, and he's beating the poor little critter, calling him all kinds of names, and he scrapes up against the wall, he cuts his leg. Well, you stupid donkey. Finally, the little donkey said, well, sir, I'm just trying to save your life. Can you imagine what he probably said? He said, what do you mean? I can hear him just talking to that donkey. And then all of a sudden, he, what am I doing talking to my donkey? What's my donkey doing talking to me? But is this written in the Word of God? Do you believe a donkey can talk? That one did, didn't he? If God can use that donkey, surely he can use some of us. Right? Surely he can use us. All we got to do is do what he says. Now, this guy, this angel... He says in verse 16, but was rebuked for his iniquity. The dumb ass speaking with a man's voice forbid the madness of the prophet. Now, just think, he was a prophet of God. But he was going to go curse a group of people that God told him not to go do it. But he's going to do it anyway. God says, no, you, do, you don't do what I tell you. I'm going to kill you. Somebody said, God wouldn't do nothing like that. Oh, yeah, he'd send an angel to cut your head off. And when that invisible sword from that angel cuts your head off, you fall dead on the ground. Somebody said, gee, isn't that awful? His heart just failed. No, he was run through with an angel's sword. That's why you fell off on the ground. He said, these are wells without water, clouds that are carried with a tempest, to whom the mist of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity... They allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness. Those that were clean escape from them who live in error. You better be clean. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome of the same is he brought in bondage. Just think, today we're children of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the power of God, and we have the power within us. The Word of God has come to set us free. And every time the devil goes to tempt you or test you with something, if you're a born-again Christian, you have the power in you to say no. Now, I don't care what it is. If the boys are telling dirty jokes, I'm on, tell you, you got a good joke? Yeah, I got a great one. Jesus is Lord, guys. And he's a king of kings and lord of lords. Ah, we want to hear a joke. No, this is, this is the best thing you ever heard, guys. Don't you watch television? Don't you hear any of these dirty jokes these guys are talking? Didn't you see that show last night on, what was that, Jerry Springer? Did you see that deal on Jerry Springer last night about all them wild things? 
No, I never watched that guy. I seen him about 10 seconds one time, and I saw a name in the background. When I saw what was going on on that platform, I said, they ain't never going to touch that channel no more. I ain't feeding that trash into my heart. I guarantee I'm going to walk holy and clean before God. And let me tell you, when the plague comes, I'm going to walk through them. They're going to all die. I'm going to walk through it. Then he says, While they promised them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same as he brought into bondage. That's just like when I was at Sky Chef. That was a food, food establishment. And they provided free food for everybody. And I'm telling you, men and women, I couldn't believe what those people ate in that place. And I couldn't believe how big some of them were. If you're brought into bondage with food, you're going to be overweight. You know what you have to do to stay slim and trim? Exercise and eat right. That's all it takes. You follow along with me every day. And you eat the same things I do. And I guarantee you, you will not be overweight. It seems like I'm getting to where I only eat about one meal a day. Yesterday, all day long, I got up, went to bed late, night before late, got up early this morning, and I did not eat a bite until 11, after 11 o'clock last night. Nothing. And I wasn't even hungry when I ate, but I sat down and I called Cheryl about, I don't know, nearly 11, 10 or something, and I said, I just left the healing school. She said, Well, I wonder what happened. I'd called you and you wouldn't answer your phone. Well, I had it turned off, of course. And so I called her. She said, where are you? I said, well, I'm on the way out there. I, I said, I might just come by out there. She said, oh, good. You had anything to eat today? I said, nope. She said, well, we'll fix you a chicken fried steak. I said, hey, I'll come by there for a chicken fried steak. Amen. Especially when you eat all day. Especially when you're a country boy like me. Chicken fried steak. I like chicken fried steaks. Amen. With salad and baked potato, I can handle that. So I went out there, and that's what I had last night. And I feel really good today because I had a chicken fried steak last night. Now, I'll eat. I did have a banana and a cup of tea this morning, and I'll eat again tonight about 10 o'clock, 9 or 10 o'clock, somewhere. You know, so I don't overeat. And when I eat, I eat small portions. I don't big, eat big portions. I eat small portions. That's how I've stayed 175 or 80 pounds all of my life. That's how I've kept a waistline of 34 since I was 18 years old. You know, never change. It's a choice you make. You come in bondage to anything. I don't care what it is, whether it's sex, whether it's food, whether it's money. I don't care what it is. You can come into bondage that anything can rule you, anything, because the Lord said so right here. You have power over all of those things as a born-again Christian. Look at verse 20. It says, For if after they have escaped the pollution of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In other words, we come to Christ. We escape the pollution and the lust of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They are again entangled therein and overcome. The latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandments delivered unto them. 
For it has happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is turned to his own vomit. You ever see a dog throw up and then turn around and eat it right back up? Did you ever throw up anything and turn around and eat it back up? Not hardly. If you did, you're a dog. Isn't it wonderful how good God can make that good stuff when you eat it, how good it can smell? And then when it comes back up through the same hole, it went down. After it had been down in there for a little while, it ain't hardly fit to eat, is it? Not hardly. It smells awful. You know, now, I mean, I used to go there, but I used to have that before I learned how to walk by faith. No more. I mean, you know, I, I have not thrown up, been sick or nothing in over 20 years. I speak to my body. And I don't have those kind of problems. No, praise God. Thank you, Jesus. He's the one who did all these things. And so I walk by faith. But he says, if I've been delivered from the world, the corruption of the world, I come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And then somebody comes along and entices me and says, oh, Thurman, come on. Let's just go back down here to this club tonight. They got a nudity. They got some of the most beautiful nude girls dancing in that place you've ever seen. Then my flesh begins to kick in. My wife's out of town on a business trip. Well, nobody will ever know. You know, Dallas is a big place. So I come walking in there, and the first thing I do, walk in and two other Christians in, from church is there. Wow. Isn't that something? Wow. Oh, pastor, what are you doing down here tonight? I come down here to get you people saved. Wow. <laughs> That wasn't the truth at all. See, I'm lying. Now I'm caught in a lie and everything in the world. And the judgment of God is going to come upon me. Because did I know better than to go down there? Yes. Does the Word of God say, if I willfully sin after I've known the knowledge of the truth, is the judgment of God going to come upon me? That's what the Word says. You think God's Word really means what it says? I do, but it's obvious a lot of the church don't believe the Word of God. So if I had been deceived and turned back to my wickedness, the Lord said it would have been better for me had I not known the truth. What does he mean by that? So I get saved. I get saved. And I come over here and I live in the church five years or ten years. Man, I'm on fire for Jesus. I stand up and sing and do all these wonderful things, preach the word. And then one day I get mad at God. I said, I don't believe this stuff no more, God. I heard all that stuff, but I'd hold up rather live back in the world where I used to. I'd rather hang out in the bars and, and hang out and go, go with all these wild women. You know, oh, man, there's some good girl. They get a different one every night, you know. I love, you know, having a little bit of variety. I mean, it's just men think like that. Obviously. They're in those places every night. And some of those men tell me they're saved. Let me tell you. If you tell me you're saved and you're living like that, what's the word says going to happen to you? He said it'd been better for you if you had never known him than to have come and known him and become one of his children and then turn your back on him and go back into your ways. You will be one of those that that lady talked about that those demons are sticking the spear through the side of the casket tormenting you. He used to be one of my preachers. But because he wouldn't teach the word, he's going to be tormented here forever. This scripture we talked about, they kind of fits that criteria, doesn't it? 
He, he would have went to hell anyway without knowing Jesus, but his torment wouldn't have been near so bad. But the Lord said, if you come to know me as Lord and Savior, and then you turn your back on me and go back into the world, it had been better for you to have never known me. Now then think, we've covered two different scenarios here today. We've covered one, if you're walking obedience to his word, what did he promise to do to you when the plague comes? Protect you. Bless you. Give you everything you want. Answer all your prayers. But if that's the group that's doing it, and this is a group over here that's fall back into their wicked ways, what did he promise you? Destruction and death and sickness and disease and condemnation. So which one of these sides y'all want to be on? Hey, I want to be over here too. Guarantee you. Right, Jim? Right over here. We're going to be over here. Now then, is it going to be tough to walk there? Oh, yeah, the world will say, Oh, Jim, come on. You're a single man. Come on, just come down to the bars with us. Not God don't mind. Come on, Jim. Oh, yes, he does. They do it all the time to you, don't they, Jim? Yeah, so he, he being an instructor out there with all them men, him being a young man, a lot of them men are single. I can only imagine the invitations he gets to go around with some of those guys. They do. They do. I'm sure they do. I know. I've been out there in those cities. I know what I know what the devil does. He'll do everything he can to get you back out into the world so he can kill you. You don't want to go there. Just think. We've talked about if we walk holy in obedience to God's Word. Make Him the most I got our dwelling place. And say of the Lord, He's my strength. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. In my God do I trust. I don't care what you guys say. I'm going to tell you, Jesus is my Lord. And I'm walking holy in obedience to His Word. The king walks up to him, puts his arm around him and says, Oh, son, you're my boy. Ooh, you're my boy. What, what can I do for you today? And so you say, Lord... I got, a, I got a need. This little guy down here or this one down here, whatever. Lord, this little woman just fell and burned her arm over there. I'd like you. I'd want to come over and lay my hand on her. Yeah. And I want you to do a mighty miracle. Yeah. Don't even know if she's a Christian. I'll go over and lay your hand on her. Burn arm, burn all the pieces. And pain goes away right then. And the next morning when she walks up, not a scratch on her arm. Is that awesome, Ty? Woo, that's awesome. And then, of course, I think about that little lady. When Melanie saw that little lady come back in the next day, she threw her hands up and screamed and said, Another answer to Thurman's prayer. Every one of us as Christians ought to be walking like that in our workplace. And the little woman that got the miracle, she said, Melanie, don't you think it healed so quick because it was so cool last night? (laughs) How many of you all think if she put her arm in a freezer, it would have healed overnight? No, no. You see how the devil can deceive you? But see, praise God, there's men and women of faith. When you walk in faith, well, when you walk in faith, Deborah, what can God do for you, girl? All things. That's right. That's what he can do. Praise the king. So we, like I say, today I've taught you what you can do if you walk in faith and holiness. I've taught you what will happen to you if you don't. That's the way God is. That's the way he is. Now then, we're going to sing a song. Praise God. They're going to sing a song. and uh, Oh, okay, yeah, and I'm going to... Yeah. I'm, going to I'm going to pray a prayer, and I want all of you all to be in agreement with me. I just forgot it. But little Brietta, which is doing great, but still has a few little things. She's still on oxygen, and she's, uh, we want her to nurse Mama instead of the bottle. So let's just come to the Lord right now. Let's just all we wait till they get up here on the platform. But we want to pray. In fact, I want you all to stand and I want you to raise your hand to the king. I want us to believe God's going to answer this prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus.
We want to first thank you for the wonderful things you've done for this precious little child that was born so premature. And how through all these trials and tests, as James and his family have stood and prayed ceasingly. I mean, they have prayed and, and oh Lord, we've prayed with them, and we have seen you do awesome miracles for this little girl. Awesome miracles. You Only you could have done it. Even the doctors know because of the time we prayed, and they prayed, and seen the next, next day something they had to have, surgery, and tomorrow she don't need it. Because James would say, and the Lord would say, no, we're going to pray tonight, and tomorrow the child don't need surgery. Lord, we thank you for all those answers to prayer. Lord, now we still got a couple little things. We want this little girl to nurse her mama. Well, we want to get her milk directly from Mama and not that bottle. And, Lord, we, we want that lungs and everything to be totally, completely matured and perfect so you don't have to have that oxygen. We want her to be able to breathe off the oxygen that you put in the atmosphere just like we do. And, Lord, you said that if two or three of us on earth agreed about anything, you would do it. And, Lord, there's a whole church full of us here today asking and standing in favor of this precious little girl. Now, Lord, if there's anybody else here today that has a need for one of their family members or something, we ask them just quietly to, uh, to voice that uh, prayer or voice that name to you, and we're going to be in agreement with them that that need is met right now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you and praise you for being our mighty God. There's no distance in prayer, and it makes no difference if their loved one may be in Dallas or in England. It makes no difference where they are. We can pray here and see you move. Because, Lord, I prayed here one night and saw you instantly heal a man's back in Salt Lake City, Utah. So, Lord, I know there's no distance in prayer. So, Lord, thank you for answering these prayers. Thank you that your promises are always yes and amen. And thank you that you've given us the answer to every one of these requests we've requested. And you know what they all are. We don't have to know, but you do. And so, Lord, thank you for meeting every person's need today. In Jesus' name, amen.